Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Scumbags, this is the Scummy Mummies Podcast, with your hosts, Ellie Gibson and Helen Thorne. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies Podcast, it's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. Can you hear that edgy note in my voice, Helen? Are we at the BBC? No, but we've got a proper guest who knows things about stuff and it's a cause that we care about. Who is it? It's Laura Bates. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, my oh God. you sound much nicer than me and yes. my edgy voice. <laughs> oh, we, 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 we're so excited. You're like, you're award-winning, you're groundbreaking, you're, you're a powerhouse of feminism, Laura Bates. You've written books. You're just brilliant. Thank you for coming on our scummy podcast. <laughs> we are not worthy. Please inform us with all your amazing knowledge and change the world, Laura. Change the world. No pressure. Um, what an well, introduction. Anyway, yeah, thanks for coming. Um, with- <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you like to introduce yourself, Laura? How would you describe Laura Bates, Laura Bates? Um, well, I run the Everyday Sexism Project. Um, I'm an activist and a, a writer. And, yeah, I, I collect people's stories to try and change the things that they experience. And you've been doing it for ten over ten years yeah. now. Blimey. Did you think back in 2012, because we've been going nearly ten years, mm. and like people say to us, oh, did you think? We were like, no, we just thought we'd make, like probably three podcast episodes then get bored (laughs) then do something else but here we are was it the same for you yeah exactly the same I thought maybe if 10 or 15 people shared their stories of sexism on this little website that would be something to say look the problem happens and then I'd carry on with my life and yeah yeah but now is it over two how many 250 it's about a quarter of a million now it's it's the largest data set of its kind I mean at the end of this podcast like listen to all of the words that Laura's going to say and then go on to the website if you haven't yet it is extraordinary I was I was I was deep diving into all this I could not stop reading it was it is so phenomenal and so brilliant and I loved I just love what you're doing I'm, I'm in such admiration and you, how old were you when you started like 26 or something 24 yeah Fuck me. That's the vision that you had. And I guess well, we're going to obviously get into it about why you, why you set it up. But, I mean, it's still going so strong, isn't it? It's almost mm. like the patriarchy remains, you know, in, in power, Helen. It's almost like sexism <laughs> still exists, unbelievably. I won't hear of it, Ellie. I've heard on Twitter that feminism, is, it's, you know, yeah, that sexism is done. There's yeah. no misogyny anymore. There's no gender pay gap. It's oh, fine. come on now. But two, a quarter of a million stories... Yeah, you've collected basically. I mean, I think that's even more scummy mummy confessions that we've collected from our show, Helen. Sadly, is, yes, it is. But, yeah, but not by much, probably. Is are there common themes running in them, and have, has it got has it got better or worse over the years, or what? 
I think it's both. It's complicated, isn't it? There's definitely common themes. Probably the most common theme of all is the idea of it was my fault. Um, you know, I'm not even sure if I should be saying this. Does this even really count? Um, maybe I was asking for it. Maybe I was wearing the wrong thing. I tried to tell someone about it and they said, but you have been drinking, so you probably let him on. Just the the sheer need for a space where somebody hears and believes what you're saying. The number of women who have been dismissed and disbelieved and ignored, that's a really common theme, which is mm. heartbreaking. And I think the age it starts is a really common theme as well. When I started the project, I thought we'd be getting stories from adult women. And the reality was that they were coming from girls of 10 and 11 who were reporting stuff that men had shouted at them from cars, for example, where they didn't even understand what the words meant because oh. they were so explicit, so horrible. Or kids who were, you know, 30 13 years old and they were using the word normal to describe boys any they wouldn't use the word sexual assault of course groping touching up feeling them up at school mm. and that kind of normalization that's so much of what we hear so many of the stories it's sexual assault or it's rape or it's maternity discrimination but those aren't the words people use so that mm. sense of oh this is just normal this is just being a girl isn't it like mm. that's a really common theme as well I think yeah or people just say I'm sorry but but there's no anger or that. Well, what, how are we going to change this? This is just an acceptance of that's 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 your that's your lot because you've got boobs and a vagina, you know. And I, I think what I love about the the stories is that you know some will be like two sentences; it'll just be an observation. But people have got really detailed and incredibly, you know, honest and brutal accounts of assault and things like that. And I think that's it has to be like that you I think it you know not having it categorized is really good in a way because yeah. that's the spectrum and as you uh, we'll get to your brilliant book <laughs> fix the system not the women um it's the list isn't it of all yeah. the different encounters and when you just go oh especially when the me too um sort of movement came we're like oh yes of course I've experienced that of course and we we just brush it aside going oh well that was just a little incident but I think when you've really highlighted it and you see it side by side then that's then it is still very much happening. You know? Yeah, that was always really important to me right from the beginning that we talk about all the different bits together because mm. there's such a tendency to go, well, we'll talk about rape and domestic abuse because that's serious, but stop making a fuss about catcalling or you know, literally talk about workplace harassment and you'll be on the front page of a tabloid with the word feminazi and block capitals above your head. Mm. And these connections were so important as well as recognising that spectrum in our own lives. One of the first stories we ever got was from a woman who wrote, I'm in my 80s, so I have too much to say in a small box here are some highlights arranged by decade. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Brilliant. Getting back to when it all started and yeah. how it all started. What was the what was the the moment where you thought we need these stories to be heard and shared? It was honestly just a really really shit week. It was 2012 and in a short space of time I had a guy a bloke following me home really aggressively propositioning me not taking no for an answer saying I'll follow you home I'll always know where you live. Oh. Um, a few nights later on the bus quite late on the phone to my mum looked down realised the man next to me had his hand on my thigh and was rapidly moving it between my legs moved away blurted out what was happening because I was on the phone mum I'm on the bus this guy just groped me and everyone on the bus heard and everyone looked out the window and it was that normalisation wow. again why are you talking about this we don't want to know keep it to yourself mm. and of course because of that I felt so ashamed and embarrassed and I shouldn't have said anything and it's my fault and I got off the bus at the next stop and I walked the rest of the way home never told anyone else what had happened mm. a few days later I walked past a truck and some guys on the back one of them just turned to the other and I was so close he knew I could hear him and he just went look at the tits on that not even her but that and they just 
were talking about me as if I wasn't there. Mm. And I think it was at the end of that week I sat down, I was thinking about what a bad week it had been. And the thing that struck me was if those things hadn't happened in the same week, I probably never would have thought twice about any one of them because Mm. it was so normal. Mm. And it was the first time I ever stopped to ask other women, have you ever experienced anything like this? thinking that one or two of them would have a story. And, of course, it was every woman I spoke to. And it wasn't, here's my story from a few years ago. It was, well, yeah, on my way to meet you just now. Or mm. do you want to know what happened yesterday? Or, yeah, the blokes in my workplace go to a strip club at lunchtime and they take clients there. So I just miss out on those deals. But I can't make a fuss because then I'd be the ball-breaking, harpy, feminazi or whatever. Mm. But the thing that made me want to start the project was that when I started trying to talk about all these stories, people told me I was being ridiculous. There was this real sense of sexism doesn't exist anymore, from mm. particularly from men. And there was this huge thing of, look at other countries, look elsewhere. If you want to find feminist stuff right. to bang on about women's right. rights, yeah, 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 yeah. if you're talking about that stuff here, you're overreacting, you're making a fuss about nothing. Mm. Um, and I'm quite a statistics nerd. I like statistics, especially in this kind of career because people can't call statistics hormonal and hysterical and overreacting the way way they do women so I started looking into this idea quite obsessively that women were equal and I just everywhere I looked it was kind of so absurd we were fewer than a third of our MPs were women and a quarter of the House of Lords and seven out of 38 Lord Justices of Appeal and only 18 out of over 100 High Court judges and there were you know fewer than a tenth of our engineers a fifth of our architects our Royal Society's never had a female president and fewer than 10% of its fellowship are women and you oh, know when I started in video games journalism there was three of us <laughs> yes, it's everywhere and then of course you know even in places like the arts where they think they're going to find all the women you find that actually you know there's at the time the National Gallery out of 2,300 uh, paintings the collection had I think uh, paintings by 10 female artists or that you know it had been like 15 years since they'd commissioned a woman to choreograph the main stage at the Royal Opera House or that there's 573 listed statues around the UK but only 15% of them are of women only two of them are of a named black woman or that we were only hearing like 28% of speaking roles in films that were women's voices but they were three times more likely the men to have to take their clothes off And then I got down to the, you know, 85,000 women raped every year, half a million sexually assaulted, a quarter of women experiencing domestic abuse. And I thought, and they're saying none of the serious stuff's happening here. Women here are fine, you know, look elsewhere Mm. for real issues affecting women. So it wasn't really an attempt to fix sexism. It was a furious attempt to get people to see it. Yeah. Just to say this is happening I didn't really think I could set out and solve a problem while people refused to acknowledge it even existed so the Mm. project was really about just that trying to get people to acknowledge it first yeah I think I think you're right and I think you know especially with my when talking to like my mum and my mum's generation so many of that is dismissed I'm like oh that's what happens when men get drunk Mm. and oh you know um, yes of course you're going to stay at home with the kids or you know oh let me do it you know especially I was listening to your um, book again this morning and especially about the the imbalance with heterosexual couples and um, domestic work you know just at the baseline of how we live our lives you were saying like a woman would do uh, like 40 hours and then a man would do about six I can't remember the stats but 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 the way that we just kind of fall into these roles yeah. and that we don't challenge them and they're like, oh, you know, it's just easier if I do it or, you know, he's mm-hmm. tired or whatever, that, that we don't, we don't double check what, what, you know, what, what is unequal and what mm-hmm. we're putting up with. Um, but I, I, I love the way that your, um, the book starts in terms of 
the way you you talk about the list but also as a young girl you were acutely aware was it the differences of how you were treated to your brother is that right yeah I mean not not within my uh, immediate family by my parents who mm. were brilliant but you know for example when my um when my parents went to visit my grandparents to introduce them to my baby brother when we left there was this kind of weird wrapped thing lump on the passenger seat of the car and my mum unwrapped it and it was this kind of ugly, heavy sort of gold piece of jewellery. And she said, what's this? And my dad said, oh, it's because you finally had a boy. <gasps> After having me and my older sister. And I was five, so I've only heard this story, you know, many years later. I didn't know at the time. But that's how early it begins. That's, mm. how, that's how young it starts. But with our own kids, how do we kind of... You know, how do we watch ourselves like that? How do we not unconsciously or consciously kind of indoctrinate them or put them in roles and stuff like that? I think it's just about making choices accessible to them. You know, so it's really... It's really heartbreaking when you see, you know, like a kid that's rushed to the toy store and they've saved up all their pocket money for this incredible, like, I don't know, physics science kit. And then they look up and they see that it's in a a big blue shelf that says boys toys. Yeah. And you're in the supermarket and they're looking at the magazine aisle and it still now says women's interest and men's interest. And they see under women's interest, basically celebrity and diet and gossip. Oh, and sewing. Come on, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. right. It's not really a problem at all. (laughs) (laughs) And under men's interest, they've got like the economist and the national geographic and the new statesman and the video and the scientists and the video yeah yeah and cars lots of cars yeah, yeah. so <laughs> many cars cars tips on football <laughs> oh yes cars please. tips on football monthly oh, if you have a penis you will like these things <laughs> this week jeremy clarkson and all of the chicks from love island oh with a barbecue oh. yes <laughs> and that's tough on boys as well right because it also tells them you know like you're weird if you pick up a doll you're not expected to like cooking whatever it is hmm so I think it's being aware of those weirdnesses and letting your kids be aware of them. Mm. When you talk about this stuff, I think pe- parents are terrified that you're telling them to have one big terrifying conversation with their kids and everyone gets really nervous. But it's really about the little and often tiny conversations. It's about going, hey, that's weird. Why is that magazine in there? You know, because you know your auntie loves science or whatever it is. And just giving them permission to disrupt and question stereotypes so that they don't grow up believing that they have no choice but to be boxed in by them. It's, it's, like you say, it's just an ongoing conversation, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And just realising how much this stuff adds up, because it seems so so kind of small and irrelevant, but actually by the time that you get to A-level at over half of all state schools, there are no girls tool studying physics. So mm. it, it does add up, and just giving them the tools to know... And, and people kind of panic when you're talking about especially stuff around sexual violence and their rights to their own bodies as well. People go, oh my God, you can't talk about, you know, sex and porn and stuff with a five-year-old. And of course, it's not in those terms. But when you send a two-year-old to nursery and you say you don't hit the other child, no one goes, oh, you can't talk to them about violence. Because mm. you recognise that you can do it in an age-appropriate way. And in the same way, if from childhood we're teaching kids not, you know, you have to go and give a kiss and a hug to every, you know, grandpa and uncle at Christmas. But how do you want to say goodbye to grandpa today? Are you going to do a high five? Or are you going to do a hug? Or are you going to blow a kiss? You're giving them autonomy. There are ways to teach them. This is your body and you get to choose what happens to it. Yeah. That don't have to be terrifying and about, you know, talking to them about sexual violence, but it still matters. I've started doing that with kids. I heard that somewhere. So I've started saying when I meet a kid, like, would you want to, do you want to 
you want to cuddle, do you want a high five, whatever. But with yeah. my own kids, I'm just like, come here! <laughs> <laughs> guys, I'm absolutely mental. I know, I'm sure my children have a slight, in, you know, indent on one side of the head where I've given them, oh, come here, come here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious that, you know, like with my nieces or, you know, children I know, I'm like, we can just do a wave. That's cool. Don't yeah. you know? No, no need for a hug. And I think, I think, yeah. And then your your children will see you behave like that. And then, mm-hmm. and I think, I think that's it. And you know, obviously, in the last couple of years, I've become a single parent. So, and they spend the majority of time with me. So I am now the biggest influence on their lives. And I think, in a way, I have to do everything and all the jobs mm. and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like it is a bit of a gift that I'm a single parent in a way because I, I want to show them that, you know, I can do I can do most of things in a fairly messy fashion, let's be <laughs> honest. I drop the balls all the time. But I I I do, as you say, try and do things in a sort of age appropriate way so it's not kind of like I'm doing everything you should be really grateful that you know I'm just a human being and you know some days I'm tired and the house will be messy well most of the time um but you know you were very loved you were very loved but I I like that now they're becoming teenagers they are quite critical of the media like I remember when I think was it the Justice League came out and there was only one only one I think it was only Wonder Woman isn't it out of all the women mm. and like and what's her fucking she's got a fucking rope she's got a lasso that's her special thing she can <laughs> run very fast <laughs> um, but Batman is it where's the Batmobile where's the fucking Batarangs where's the yeah. where's the butler that's exactly and this is how we mm. we grew up like the Power Rangers only had one pink lady yeah Paw yeah. Patrol. Paw Patrol, yeah. Paw yeah. Patrol, one token woman. And I think... I DJ think, Masks. Yeah, and this is what I, I like, that we keep challenging this. You know, why mm. is it why why is it a majority? Uh, not the... You know, just equal. How mm. hard can that be? Uh, even Ellie and I, when we're in comedy, we've, I mean, we have told this story many times, but I was on the bill for a mixed comedy night, mm. and Ellie said, oh, can I have a gig? And the guy said, no, we've already got a woman on. <laughs> <laughs> When I challenged him, he said, our audiences don't like too many women. They don't like too many women on the bill. And I was like, have you gone round all 300 people at your comedy club and asked them, including the women, of which there were many in the audiences Mm. at this comedy club, I knew, have you asked them that? Like, where's your focus group for that? Um, So 10 years years in of, of doing this, do you... Look, because I I often feel despair. Like when you're saying, when you have one of those weeks where two or three mm. things happen in a yeah. row, either to you or to friends or whatever, and you just, and sometimes I come home and I'll just say to Pete, I can't, I can't tolerate this anymore. This isn't getting any better. And these mm. there, there's so many people out there, you know, the whole all men, not all men, yes or men thing. Sometimes it just feels overwhelming, doesn't it? I mean, do you ever have moments like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And really, really furious moments as well. But I also, I really think there is such reason to be hopeful as well. When I go into schools, I go into maybe two schools a week, just all over the country, all different kinds of schools. And I meet so many kids who are so passionate and so aware. I wouldn't have known what the word feminism was at that age. And I'm meeting kids who are starting their own feminist societies and starting protests. And there were these three boys who waited at the end of a talk I gave in a school recently. And then they kind of shuffled really nervously forwards, kind of like nudging each other, like, you ask her, no, go on, you ask her. And then eventually one of them said, we've just come to ask you because we wanted to start a feminist society and we were just wondering. And then they all like looked at each other again and then the other one went, are we allowed? <laughs> oh, so cute. Oh, oh heaven. Oh, heaven. 
And there's loads and of And you kids said no. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> there's loads of kids like that who are, you know, they're doing they're doing really creative stuff. There was this one school where when the girls came into the classroom, the boys were rating them out of ten. But not just that, they were shouting out three numbers out of ten. And they discovered that the boys were giving them numbers, each girl, for their faces, their breasts, and their bums. They were literally and this was recently compartmentalizing them wow. yeah and so these kids they were amazing though they emailed me and they said right you've got to come in and talk to the boys in our school and when i went in i thought they might not want anyone to know it was them because that mm. often happens yeah. there's such stigma you go in and the kids like don't let anyone know it was me that invited you it's so embarrassing mm. and these girls they'd made these t-shirts and they had this thing on the front inspired by mlk that said um i want to live in a world where i'm judged by the content of my character and not the pieces of my body and and they were all, they gave me one and I put it on. It was brilliant. They were all sitting in the front row with their arms linked. And then they were getting all the other kids to sign like a anti-sexual harassment pledge. And when I got home that night and I took the t-shirt off to go to bed, I realised on the back it said, anyway, I am 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, it's ironic because this generation is painted as the, you know, woke snowflake, frail, like, you know, yeah. can't take boo from a goose, say boo to a goose generation. There are so many kids who are so strong and they are dealing with so much shit online that yeah. we never had to deal with growing up and it does give me hope you know we know that hundreds of new feminist societies have been set up across the country in the last few years there are so many young people who are really on it and fighting back and and that's really hopeful yeah. and of course we're sitting here as, as white women we've all taken a level of shit and then there's black women and women of color asian women who've taken whole other layers of shit that we Absolutely. will never mm. understand has that been reflected back in in your work yeah, hugely if you look at the everyday sexism entries from such early stages they were not just about sexism they were about racism and homophobia and ageism and it was so clear people in society people were like oh no no you're coming in for the international women's day event like that stuff's for black history month or for you know the disability commission and we separate it out like nobody would experience more than one of these things together mm. but of course people aren't writing oh one day i go down the street and i experience racism and on a separate day i get sexism it's you know it's a disabled woman being told to do a pole dance around her walking stick it's a black woman waiting to give the keynote speech at a conference but people are interrupting her as she tries to prepare just constantly asking her to show them to the loo or bring them coffee because they just Mm. assume she's a member of staff or uh, an asian student who's on campus with her university boyfriend and people are shouting at him asking if she's a male or a bride or it's you know women who are in the street with their female partners and men follow them shouting at them like asking if they can join in or videotape them or interestingly one of the clearest repeated linguistic patterns in the project is that across tens of thousands of entries from older women they all use the word invisible and so it's those forms of discrimination that of course they intersect and they're cumulative they're not kind of separate and so if we leave that out of the planning for the solutions then you you fail those women who live at those intersections really is you know Mm. if you're looking at the fact that we've said that a quarter of women experience domestic abuse your plan for that has to build in the fact that the number goes up to one in two for disabled women but in our kind of underfunded and desperately overstretched refuges for example only fewer than a tenth of spaces are accessible but a fifth of women in the UK are disabled so it's Mm. just if we were to create a system and solutions that worked for the most vulnerable and the most minoritized groups it would be great for everyone else because they would then be robust and good enough to work great for the rest of us Mm. But, but we don't we kind of don't people aren't very good at seeing these as connected issues i know and it, it just it is preposterous that um the people in charge aren't representing the people 
of the community and yeah. and then that and that is that is just and nothing will change until we we get that representation as well because the patriarchy aren't going to do us any favors they are not not no. when 56 of them are themselves under investigation for sexual misconduct that's the yeah. like, that's that's if it turns out that they're men that's about a tenth of our male MPs so looking to them for solving these problems is yeah flawed let's say yeah it was when um Tony Abbott the uh Prime Minister of Australia appointed himself as the Minister for Women. <laughs> I was like, there's something wrong with my culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't the Tories get rid of the Minister for Women entirely? Or have I made that they, up? Well, yeah, so in the blink of an eye period that Liz Truss was in charge, they, they got rid <laughs> oh, I of I forgot that. about that. Honestly, <laughs> that honestly feels like a holiday I went on about three three years ago. Do you remember that long weekend in Barcelona? Oh, yeah. It's like that, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that woman who was Prime Minister briefly? Gosh, she was a twat. So, yeah. She got rid of the women bit so it was just a minister for equalities <laughs> which of course you know high profile women can do sexism and get away with it and the men love that oh uh, absolutely because they can be well if a woman's doing it yeah, you know like when they'll fine. find the one woman to come I on do the panel show and be like well I think women are asking for it yeah I think that is one of the, the great tricks the Tories have pulled I, I have to give the, the Tories credit where it's due and one of the tricks one of the tricks they pull is convincing us I think and I, I won't go on but I've got a thing about this convincing us that all politicians are the same and they all have the same agenda which is just to make the rich rich or they don't really care I think mm. that's bullshit and I think it's really dangerous a dangerous idea that they've convinced us of because mm. if you don't care you don't vote and then the people in power stay in power but there's that but I think the Tories are very good at putting women and also people who are black people who are of colour kind of front and centre and saying well look you know these people are here therefore we're not terrible bastards and it's all going to be fine but when you look at the legislation and the way they're voting on on these bills that would make society more equal that's not the case is it totally especially when they want people to take the fall but it's okay because Rishi Sunak's brought back the women's minister and appointed a anti-choice woman who's tried to, you know, reduce the limits for abortion periods. So that's fine. Right on, sister. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fine. One and for I the think people. It's Dominic Raab is currently, I think, de- it's like musical chairs, so I can't keep up, but I think he's deputy PM. And I think he is a man who said that feminists are the worst kind of bigots. So it's wow. fine. They've got it all under control. I'm sure they've got I women's feel best interests so much at better heart. Now, yeah. absolutely yeah. excellent. We're moving yeah. forward. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a, if you had a magic wand, or indeed perhaps a better prime minister, um, <laughs> what, uh, what things would you change tomorrow? Um, I would have a proper statutory inquiry into misogyny and policing, so we can get beyond this ridiculous bad apple narrative. I would. Mm increase funding for training around domestic abuse amongst police forces and sexual violence. I would change the justice system so that we have uh, don't have juries on rape trials. I'd have judge-led rape trials. Mm. Um, I would make it mandatory for every child in primary school to be learning about gender stereotypes and healthy relationships and respect. I would put internet literacy on the curriculum so that when teenage boys are being told actually Me Too's a witch hunt, the gender pay gap's a myth and women everywhere are lying about rape, they pause to consider whether that might be a faulty (laughs) statistic. Mm. Um, I would change the makeup of our, not just our cabinet and our government, but our local authorities, you know, people in positions of control at a more more granular level that affects people's day-to-day lives. 
I would actually fund frontline sexual violence services, you know, some crazy idea like that. Mm. There's a donkey sanctuary in the southwest that gets three times more um, publicly donated funding each year than all the rape crisis centres put together. Really? It's just there's Wait, wait, when you say public funding... So I think it might be public donations rather than, like, public money. But either way, it's it's great for the donkeys. Nothing against donkeys. Donkeys are lovely. Mm. They're they're not my priority, if I'm honest. maths that doesn't add up. I could Mm. take or leave them, to be completely honest. (laughs) Yeah. Turn them all into glue, really. I don't don't, don't don't think... No, no, we can't say that. I can say that. You can say that. My podcast. <laughs> Fuck off, donkeys! I fucking said it now. Come at me! What are you gonna do? Bray at me? <laughs> Walk really slowly yes. towards you, Ellie. Kick a fence post. See if I give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> fuck off, donkeys. Sorry, Laurie, making a serious point. <laughs> there's. I think the point is that there's stuff that is so obvious that I think people would go, wait, and that's not being done. You know, mm. I would fund childcare. I'd actually value the people that look mm. after our kids. Um, there's that the rally about childcare last week. Jolie Brealy from the brilliant Pregnant and Screwed. She said it's about fourteen thousand pounds to send a kid to nursery in this country, and one thousand pounds in Germany. It's just, it's Jeez. absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. Well, if I had a magic wand, I'd make you the prime minister, Laura. That sounds <laughs> fucking brilliant, Helen. You up for all of that? Oh, absolutely. Sign me up today. So, I think it's so brilliant you're going into schools because I think that just hearing those voices or hearing. Um, information that shifts you know the bullshit that you're fed by the media the bullshit that you're fed by you know I think it'd be great if we could talk about um, one of the I think most impactful bits of your book was when you talked Mm. about Sarah Everard yeah and we were all very much um, affected by um, Sarah Everard's death and how awful it was but um, I I'll get you to, to explain it more, but one of the things that shocked me was when you started talking about all the other women that died that week. Yeah, absolutely. And um, even, you know, the year before Sarah's death, Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman had been oh. murdered in a London park and the most people never heard their names until they were brought up later in the context of Sarah Everard. We have mm. this we have this idea about who deserves attention and which victims count, and it not only entirely neglects and ignores victims generally speaking who tend to be women of color migrant women uh, disabled women women who are murdered by their own partners um but it also allows us to keep up this ridiculous isolated incident narrative and Mm. focus on the individual women and what we do when we elevate when we when we elevate a particular case we suggest it's a greater tragedy and the reason we do that is very clear if you look at what people said Mm. so after sarah's death the thing that trended all around the world apart from not all men naturally was um she was just walking home and she did all the right things those were the two hashtags and then when ashling murphy was murdered in ireland the thing that trended was she was just going for a run Mm. and i know no one shared those those thoughts trying to be malicious yeah but it really says something about our society that even in an outpouring of grief about women being murdered the kind of greatest grief that we can muster expression of that grief is this is a real tragedy because these women weren't even asking for it and that's Mm. what that kind of says yeah it literally says well you know women kind of can expect to be murdered if they're being silly and wearing a short skirt at two o'clock in the morning or going out drunk or meeting a man who's going to pay them for sex or on drugs or whatever it is but Mm. but these women didn't deserve to be murdered oh no they're like pure victims there were yeah there was there was yeah it accepts this level of responsibility on women 
And you can see that in the response. Every time one mm. of those women was murdered, Sarah was murdered and the police and crime commissioner said, well, she shouldn't have submitted to the false arrest that Wayne Cousins used to trick her and women need to be more streetwise. <gasps> and they said that maybe women should think about flagging down buses. Oh, that, 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 in made, me, that made me incandescent with rage. That, that, that yeah. The way, and again, in, in like what you've said in the book about like, it's, it all, it's our fault. Why, yeah, you know, why didn't you leave the abusive partner? Why didn't you? Why is it on yeah. to us? to fix them. And they handed out 200 attack alarms to women in the local area when Sabine Anessa was murdered and when Bobby Ann McLeod was murdered the city council leader said that we shouldn't be putting ourselves in compromising positions. And and in fact, I think the thing that was the most incredibly frustrating was the fact that they were knocking on doors in Clapham saying that women shouldn't go out on their own at night. And people were going, well, that's just common sense, isn't it? That just makes it, you know, this isn't blaming women. Not it's, just knocking on doors of men's houses going, can you not rape and kill women, well, please? How about you, you don't fucking go out at night? How about yeah. that? <laughs> should, that's what I'm saying. If they mm. knocked on the doors in Clapham and said to them, I'm really sorry, but actually yes. at the moment you, you can only go out in pairs because one of you's murdering women and we don't know which one it is. So that would have been, you know, outrageous mm. male civil liberties being constrained. But we're really comfortable with constraining all women's civil liberties. I just, I, I remember seeing something, I think it was a couple of years ago on Twitter. Someone put up a question saying, what would you do as a woman if you knew that there were, men were all inside for the night? Mm. And, and the joy, like the, 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 you know, like I'd go out and I'd dance and I'd do all these things. And you think, yeah. this is it. I think it's really good when we, we flip it rather than going, oh, yeah, you stay inside, wear, wear trousers, yeah. you know, wear a crinoline, you know, all those sort of things. <laughs> but but when, when men are asked, what do you do when you walk home to keep yourself safe? You know, because women say, oh, I have a key yeah. in between my fingers or I've, text a friend or I'll take a cab because I can't walk in that you know men there's no second thought about oh well I might be raped or murdered tonight so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll there's not there's none of that and, and, and until you have been a woman you can't you don't know what that's like you don't know the vulnerability and um, yeah I think maybe just once a week could men just stay inside Maybe or two nights a week. Do Why don't they start doing their patriarchy meeting online? Why don't they do it on Zoom? Yeah, <laughs> and then they're all off the streets for the meeting. And then, yeah, it's probably what they did in the lockdown anyway. So mm. it's fine. Hello, it's Ellie here. Now, if you like the sound of my voice, and I don't know, maybe you do, you listen to this podcast, I'm starting a new podcast and it's called Sort Your Shit Out. And it's all about finding a bit of balance, uh, starting with alcohol. The first series is all about booze because basically I've decided I'm a bit of a pisshead and I quite like to drink a bit less. Uh, so I've got an actual expert to help me out. She's called Stephanie Chivers and she knows loads about this sort of thing. And also I'll be talking to loads of other experts and authors and, you know, funny people and just having loads of chats about how to, yeah, drink a bit less, find a bit more balance and sort your shit out. The clue's in the name, isn't it? Anyway, it's out on the 9th of January, 2023. Have a listen if you like. Hope you like it. So here's my thing. Is it worth trying to convince people yeah. who don't get it, who, mm-hmm. who don't, you know, or... or do... <laughs> What, what do we help help Laura <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we have to be pragmatic we've got limited resources so we've got to deploy them in the most effective way we can and I think spending hours arguing with already kind of radicalized misogynists is not the best use of time mm. and energy in my opinion that's why I think education is such an important place to focus for this we can't sit every sexist man in the world down and force them to come and listen to this stuff damn it <laughs> 
if we did, you know, they, they, but we can yeah. get every kid in every school learning about, and it's their human right as well, you know, mm. like we teach kids to do maths and then they can make change when they're in a shop later in life. We teach kids to read a map and then they can find their way places later in life. And yet this universal human experience of relationships with other humans and of, of sex, we seem to think we don't need to give them any preparation for and that's failing them as well. Mm. So I think that's why for me, I think just schools and having these conversations young and not just saying it should be done, but really supporting teachers and schools who are in a tough spot, you know, funding them, mm. training them supporting them to do it well it would benefit everyone and the prevention is so much more useful than reactive responses whether it's sexual violence whether you're talking about de-radicalization which is such a lengthy expensive process but prevention is much more effective and and Mm. it's for kids of all genders it's it's good it's helpful it's useful you know it's not about saying we need to kind of blame and and neuter boys it's about saying this stuff is really hurting and harming men and boys as well like let's give them tools that will support them not to be Mm. so straitjacketed by societal ideas of masculinity that by the time you get to university fewer than a third of the counseling services being offered are taken up by male students Mm. and that's a tragedy for men like the tragically high male suicide rate which is connected to that so it's it's good for everyone to do this stuff early and I think that's a much more useful focus of our attention than trying to kind of respond to it later on. And you mentioned there's a new report out or something saying yeah. that um, this idea that boys are being left behind because of all, all that pesky Oh, I feel feminism. so sorry yeah. for boys um, now. I feel, oh, yeah, that angry they're... women just shouting at them the whole yes. time. I mean, to be fair, that is my boys' daily experience. <laughs> but... Um... <laughs> That's the difference putting boys. the shoes on and tidying the rooms. Um, <laughs> but that's that's a myth, apparently, according to this new study. Yeah, is that right? So basically, this study, it's, uh, it's called the State of UK Boys, and it's from the Global Boyhood Initiative. And it's just about looking at the challenges, the very real challenges facing boys, and really debunking this very persistent political and societal myth that boys' needs are in direct opposition to feminism and the needs of women and girls and that the focus on social justice has kind of created a left-behind, neglected group of kind of particularly white working-class boys who are failing desperately. And and the report is really good because it looks at those stats in much more granular detail and really debunks those ideas. But it's also really positive because it says a lot of the stuff that boys need is shockingly a feminist approach you know Mm. they need to feel that they can be vulnerable that they can explore different versions of masculinity and you can see so clearly they talk a lot in the report about how encouraging close um, meaningful adolescent friendships between boys would really benefit boys because it teaches them empathy and relationship skills but that at the moment they're kind of denied that because of these hegemonic ideas of tough masculinity Mm. and homophobic ideas about male friendships But obviously, if we were teaching boys how to be better at relationships and empathy, that would have a massive beneficial impact for the 80% of girls who currently say sexual assault is common in their peer group, the one third of girls who are being sexually assaulted at school. So it's it's looking at solutions that are positive for everybody and recognising that this really isn't a zero-sum game. It really isn't Mm. a kind of gender war battle of the sexes. No, it's not about taking something away from one group of people Mm. and giving it to another group of people. It's about just making things better for the group of people for whom it's a bit shit yeah and and for everyone because so mm. much of the knock-on effect of that would yes. be benefit for uh, for everybody mm. yes 
Yeah, and I think, you know, we, Ellie and I both, you know, got children on the cusp of teenhood and, yeah. and you know, porn and all that sort of stuff, that really frightens me in mm-hmm. a way, um, you know, the violence in pornography now and the way in which, um, you know, men think it's okay behind, to behind to perform or, you know, behave during sex. I mean, yeah. even, even as a woman in her 40s going into dating, you know, I really notice how men have, the differences between how men have sex now to 20 years ago and it's much more you know physical and the the language people use I'm thinking you've watched porn for 20 years and you're performative rather Mm -hmm. than this sort of thing and I think that's something I want to have you know I will have to have pretty you know grown-up conversations about pornography with my children because I I don't I don't want either of them to to accept these bad behaviors or act terribly against another person I think Mm -hmm. that's that's um yeah that's one of my big kind of things and I think they understand respect and feminism I hope they do but I hope you know because sex is such a you know it's so accessible um and pornography is so accessible and there's some sort of crazy statistic about I think it's like 75 percent of kids by the age of 12 have seen pornography I'm like (gasps) are my kids in the 20s 25 (laughs) percent probably not probably not um but yeah I think Gigi talks about pornography in older kids or you mainly focus on younger kids when you're going to schools yeah so there's one school where I go in every year and I talk to about 300 boys on my own about pornography just in a huge room and they come in looking absolutely terrified (laughs) (laughs) and I think they think that I'm gonna say you know you're all evil misogynists and you're watching porn and that makes you terrible terrible men and it's Mm. kind of scold them and and actually, what I actually say is I will guess that the reason that most of you probably watch porn is A, because you're, you know, a bit curious and a bit nervous and B, maybe because you want to one day have sex and want to know how to do it. And then I talk to them about the fact that porn doesn't serve them very well on either of those agendas because it doesn't really show you what sex looks like and it definitely doesn't show you how to please a real life woman, mm. um, assuming that it's women that they want to have sex with. Because what they're seeing is so much about suggesting that porn is something violent degrading humiliating painful that is done by men to women for male pleasure and the impact of that is so massive so it's just so common to hear these really twisted misconceptions there was a 13 year old girl who wrote to the everyday sexism project and she said i'm so scared to have sex that i cry at night because a boy showed me this video on a mobile phone at school and that was when i learned that when you have sex the woman has to be hurting and crying and i didn't know that before and that isn't just a one-off this comes up all the time i was in a school where they'd had a rape case very sadly involving a 14 year old boy and a teacher told me she said i talked to him afterwards and i said why didn't you stop when she was crying and that the child had looked at her and gone because it's normal for girls to cry during sex and that's really common <sighs> to hear from kids you know mm. crying is part of foreplay oh my it's God. not rape it's a compliment really it's not rape if she enjoys it there was an 18 year old young woman who wrote to us and she said i have sex at uh, university for the first time with my boyfriend and halfway through very first time ever having sex he started trying to throttle me like choking me and she panicked and managed to push him off and he absolutely broke down in tears sobbing and said i'm so sorry i just thought that was what you'd be expecting oh my that was god what he'd seen online. Mm. so this idea it's 
terrifying for boys as well what they're seeing and thinking okay this is sex this is what I'm expected to do and they've just done a really good research into this at um, Durham University where they really tried to quantify it because whenever you talk about this people go oh you're talking about extreme sites and stuff and it's not it's mainstream they looked at the websites uh, that are the most easily accessible free mainstream you know the kind of thing a kid would stumble across if yeah, they type easily. in the word porn and click the first yeah, link boobs here we go exactly <laughs> and one in eight of the videos served to first time users showed rape or coercive control or otherwise illegal act so that's kind of the level Mm. of what we're talking about that's it it's not i think sometimes when people talk about porn they think it's sort of like it was in the 70s where the plumber comes round, yeah and you have it off in the washing machine and and she has a nice time she's got a massive bush and then everyone goes home and And they smoke (laughs) a cigarette and and some saxophone music yeah and i think obviously you know the teenage the boys thing what they're growing up with is one thing but i worry as well that for grown men who do kind of know that perhaps they that, that didn't grow up with it, yeah. they it makes it acceptable. It makes certain yeah. behaviours. It's not just about normal, but acceptable. And I'll, we can cut this if you don't want to talk mm. about. It, but some of the stories you've told me of men you've you've dated or, or been with, things they've said and done to you mm. are so. Just, I mean, I know I'm a boring old married woman, but my <laughs> jaw is just, mm. I'm astonished that they think that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and also because I, because I hadn't had sex with, I'd had sex with the same man for 22 years. I feel I'm kind of like a teenager getting back into sex and I'm like, oh, right. So this is what sex is like. And, you know, and I, I was vulnerable. I was, you know, broken after my um, divorce. And then like, you know, especially, you know, when I fancied someone, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is what sex is. And so I've had to reestablish and learn about, no, 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 these, these are my boundaries. But um, yeah, I think, you know, I was really vulnerable and I have, you know, been, you know, I could have been much more shameful, but I have been open um, about um, talking about that. But it's been a real, yeah, a real shock about, you know, it does feel more aggressive and more, you know, and, you know, some things that I, I ask for in terms of, you know, I have a conversation with my, you know, partners, uh, lovers beforehand about the things that I like and the things mm-hmm. acceptable and things that I don't. And often men say oh you know you know what what do you like and what don't like and so there's a there's an agreement before yeah that's a whole different thing but i'm talking about the instances where there's been no conversation yeah when i was slapped in the face during during sex sex. yeah and i was like no that's not okay and again if some people are into that that's a whole other conversation exactly right i'm not you know i'm not judging that but he hadn't there was no conversation no and that and that that's yeah and i didn't see him again but you carried on with the sex yeah um, but but that was my choice as well. But again, that, that was yeah. And he he looked he looked confused as well because he I think he thought that was okay. So yeah, that was yeah. But I did and yeah, I think that was about six months after my divorce. So mm. it was just sort of oh well, I kind of want to continue on and and then I, because you know you know exactly what I'm like earlier. I I am like oh well, I kind of still wanted him to like me and I, and I'm not I'm not and mm. also. I, I don't think this experience is uh, unusual. No. Um, and But I, I'd rather be honest about that. <laughs> I'm being really honest about how I felt. But I wouldn't do that now. Mm. Uh, mm. And I, I don't want anyone else to do that <laughs> if you're listening either. But, but yeah, so so I think, yeah, so this, this is men in their 40s who are behaving like this. This is not, yeah. yeah. This is the reality of, of sex and casual dating and, mm. um, and this is what we encounter. And one of my friends said... Um, to me about pornography she said oh pornography is making hate and 
sex with a person who's making love. I mean, that's a bit, but but there's something. There is such hate in pornography. It feels like, and such, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think there's a power imbalance there, mm. and I think that like there's something about there not being a power imbalance in sex that is kind of something to yeah strive for. There's actually a brilliant book called Don't Hold My Head Down by Lucy Ann Holmes that I would really recommend to anyone listening who wants to kind of explore this further because she really explores going on a massive journey with herself uh, around kind of porn and experiences of what she's seen online and changing her ideas about what sex could be and what she deserved and how much she could actually articulate about her own kind of Mm. needs. That's a really good, yeah. Yeah, and we had Peggy Orenstein on the podcast a few years ago and she's an incredible um, writer from New York and spent three years researching about sex and girls. Yes, yeah. And, yeah, one of the most striking things when she was talking about, you know, girls in university having sex, you know, for the first time, she said, oh, boys wouldn't leave until they'd been given a blowjob and that that's how sex Mm. ended. And, Mm. yeah, and just the expectations about, you know, as Ellie sometimes said, we're not a hanky. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. No, it's not there. We're running out of time, sadly. Um, Shall we do this? If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Scummy Mummy Confessions. Okay, I, I'm going to do a confession. I, I, I had a very lovely date on um, Friday night. A date which Ellie approves, as in, I went to a pub and I didn't get naked. All right, so I didn't fuck him. I, I had a really nice date and a lovely man. Anyway, um, we had a couple of glasses of wine and then I got some nuts for the table, as in cashews. And I realised oh, I had a whole lot stuck in my teeth. And so I went into the bathroom and I thought, fuck, I really want to kiss this man. But I can't, have, I can't kiss him when I've got a whole mouthful of like cashew nuts. 
anyway, so I was in I was in the bathroom and I, I, I took my earring off. I tried to take <laughs> get the cashews out between my teeth with my back of my earring and there was an old faggy lady going, no, you need a cigarette paper. You need a cigarette paper. I said, no, no, my, my best friend Ellie told me that I can floss, floss my teeth with my own hair and I'm breaking bits of hair off and then the hair's breaking and I've got hair in my teeth. <laughs> and then she said, no, love, leave it to me. And she ripped off half the front of her cigarette box and I flossed my teeth with an old lady cigarette packet, <laughs> went back to the Spanish man, and then we snogged in front of the pub in front, and she said, good luck with your date. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> How romantic. Isn't it, isn't it so nice? If you'd had a date in your own house, you might have had some dental floss. Maybe I've got it all wrong, mate. Yeah, this is it. This anyway, is it. I'll keep you posted with the next day. Yeah, and I thought, God, this is it. If you're going out on dates, take your floss with you. You can't use your hair. Maybe your hair is stronger than mine. Anyway, <laughs> so last week... Uh, I was in the kitchen and like it was the end of the day and like Pete I was just really exhausted and overwhelmed you know when you're like oh and Pete Too came much. in and he was like are you alright and I was like oh I'm just really stressed out I've done this and this and this and this today and I've still got to do this and I haven't finished that and that didn't work and that's not happening and in the middle of this my little son came in and said can I have a sandwich mummy and I was like yes fine fine so I started making him this little sandwich while I was talking to Pete and going and this and I don't know what I'm going to do about this and it's just it's, I'm really stressed and Pete went uh, don't use that ham and I went what and he went that's the wrong ham and I went what do you mean and he went well that's you you're putting my that's my ham that's my good ham that you're putting on Joe's sandwich you should use the plastic ham which is because I like that ham and I lost <laughs> I now again Pete's a lot I love him very much he's a very well-meaning good not sexist man but I lost my rag but I was very good I did not because the kids were in the kitchen I did not lose it i did not shout at them i finished the sandwich i gave it to joe i left the room i went upstairs and then i angry texted him <laughs> all caps yes i'm gonna find the text for you but you okay, okay. Found. okay. <laughs> i've just told you i'm feeling very overwhelmed and stressed and drowning in my knee shy and you start talking about the wrong fucking ham <laughs> go buy more ham if you give so much of a shit write pete's ham on it like we are uptight students i don't care about your fucking ham preferences at this point in my fucking day slash life <laughs> today i got the kids ready dealt with 100 emails planned menus for two lunches and dinner went to the gym edited a podcast while putting free loads of laundry wear now before i can go to bed i have to cook dinner fix my mum's phone sort out halloween costumes and give the kids a bath so i have no fucks left to give about ham <laughs> he, he replied I will never discuss ham with you again. <laughs> kiss. kiss. The kiss did, did win me over. I was like, yeah. and then he said, I'll do the bath and the Halloween costumes if you like. <laughs> that's good. That's good manage. Yeah. Right, you, nobody needs a medal for that, Laura. I'm not saying that, but that's. No, he didn't say you're overreacting. Yeah. Yeah. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> Have you got your period? <laughs> I'll never discuss ham with you again which right. was the correct and only response mm-hmm. in that conversation yeah. so thank you Pete sorry that probably was a little bit over the top on my part I think I did apologise but um, but we're all better for, for being entertained by that so thank I've you Ellie and myself <laughs> that's how good that was so do you have a floss or man uh, <laughs> ham based story uh, it's not you once said on a podcast that you hate donkeys something <laughs> <laughs> it's not floss or hand based, but I have got a confession, which is I really inadvertently may have started a small crime wave. Oh. 
honestly without meaning to. Right, so what happened was, um, a woman wrote to me and she said, uh, I was walking down the street the other day and a bloke who was working up on a roof started shouting really kind of obscene stuff at me. And I had the confidence to shout back at him that I wouldn't normally have because he was at a safe distance. So I tried to, you know, engage with some feminist rhetoric and said how would you feel if I was shouting about your genitals as you walked down the street whatever it was and it didn't work out very well and he started shouting worse horrible stuff at her so she took his ladder down and left him up there to think about it and I thought this was a great story you know so I was at a literary festival and I repeated this story to the audience and then about a week later I got this email from the organizer saying oh we thought you'd want to know that after your talk there were some women who come to watch you together and they were on their way to the next talk and as they were walking through the town a bloke on a roof started shouting at them so they took his ladder and ran away with it (laughs) (laughs) and I then have subsequently having mentioned this story on a podcast had another woman email saying I saw a bloke on a roof (laughs) and so I feel that there is potentially this sort of spate (laughs) of ladder thefts of misogynism (laughs) I've kind of inadvertently we're all Batman I love that. That's brilliant. Excellent. Thank you so much, Laura. Well, um, that's it from us. Uh, As always, go to scummymummies.com for live live tickets that's not yes uh, tickets to our live shows to our live we are will be touring up and down the country up until well December next up year until we're dead probably yes absolutely yeah. girls gotta work uh, what is the name of your fabulous book Laura it's Fix the System Not the Women and yes. you've got other brilliant uh, books available as well don't you uh, Misogynation no what's yeah. it called yeah. yes Misogynation Men and Who Hate Women Men Who Hate Women they're all they're all brilliant please buy them um, I I I'm going to read it again I've read it twice oh, now I'm going to read it one more time it's bedtime story stuff it's excellent <laughs> I'm actually working my own book Women Who Hate Men Fuck You and Your Ham <laughs> The Ham Men's Tale Lovely stuff Lovely stuff Oh bomb okay. Right uh, where can people Tre-tre find Jambon. you? Yeah. Um, indeed. Where can people find you, Laura? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Everyday Sexism or Instagram, Laura underscore Bates double underscore because I didn't understand about Instagram names when I started and now it's too late to change it. Yeah, you oh, fucked yourself. Oh, well, well yeah. never mind. You <laughs> do other good things. <laughs> Elon Musk will probably buy it in a minute and then totally fuck it up. You won't yeah. about it. Oh, well, that's it from us. Thank you so much, Laura. It's, I feel empowered and enlightened, Helen. What I about feel, you? Absolutely. I, I, I just feel... A much better woman because of you, Laura. So yeah. thank you very much. I'm still quite cross, though, are you? Yeah. yeah. And furious. Oh, well. Fucking furious. Thanks a lot, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye! So what happened was... Oh, oh God. Oh. Saved by the bell. <laughs> Saved by the knocker. <laughs> oh, we're left on the cusp. What is the crime wave? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I'm wondering where you want to put it. Oh, no, I mean, they put it on the gateposter. What, a couple of screws? Maybe I might be able to get one. Oh, I think it's the Christmas fair. Oh, yeah, the local school. The school, yeah. Yeah. I hate the Christmas fair. Someone came to ask me about the school fair. Yeah, I thought it would be. At least he didn't mention ham. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.